0: Welcome to The Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit
1: leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Mary Ann Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Influential Nonprofit. I'm your host, Mary Ann Today, I'm with Haley Cooper, the savvy fundraiser. Yay! <laughs> We're going to talk all about fundraising and her approach to it, which is a lot like mine, which is like, I'm so excited to talk to you more about this. Haley is a certified fundraising executive, certified stress management coach, which definitely goes hand in hand with fundraising, (laughs) right? And certified EMC, train the trainer. And Haley, tell us what EMC is.
0: It's the emotional connection process. It was designed by Dr. Lola Gershfield. And I believe you downloaded the book, Um, but it's been transformational in my own experience as a nonprofit leader, as well as the approach to my business.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to talk about that. And you've done a bunch of awesome stuff. Of course, the board of the association of Fundraising Professionals, Orange County chapter, the DEI chair, as well as serves as incoming board chair for the Orange County Nonprofit Professionals Network. That is Awesome. Okay, so let's get into it. Tell, let's just talk about what is your approach to fundraising. How is it different? How do you feel like it's different than other people who work with nonprofits and fundraising?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast and this episode. I know when we met, it was kind of like divine intervention where we just yeah, had I know, so many I, know I know, I know. So I'm so excited to be able to chat about it. So I left professional fundraising. I was a director of development and went on maternity leave and had all the intention of going back to my full-time position, but I also have two kids under two. And I knew that, you know, late nights and early mornings just weren't available to me because in this season, I want to prioritize my family. And as a fundraiser and director of development that was in the midst of a transition with the CEO and a very small team, I was burnt out and the conversations that I've had with fundraisers, with nonprofit professionals across the board, everyone is burnt out or showing signs of burnout and they haven't really done anything about it because it's just expected and it's normalized and you're just supposed to move fast and move forward and just keep going because there are lives on the line because there are lives to save. And so... I found that, you know, in order to do successful fundraising, you have to have a connected team. You have to have a connected organization and everyone working towards the same mission, everyone understanding their value and how important they are to achieving that mission. So when people approach me for my business, it's because I am a CFRE, I have my certified fundraising executive certificate. But when I do a little bit of a deep dive, I realize there's a lot more under the surface of why people aren't engaged, why they're not raising more revenue. So I take this EMC approach and help nonprofits build emotionally connected teams and emotionally engaged teams. And that's across the organization. That's also on board of directors because we all know board members. That's our number one thing is our boards don't fundraise and why don't they fundraise? But it starts with that basic engagement of how people contribute and building out that structure so that they can raise more revenue so that you can move forward and grow
1: yeah i love that okay now and that's kind of why we got we felt a connection the first time we talked because i you know i teach influence which is really just you know getting people you have no authority over to do what you want them to do but and so much of it is rooted in an emotional connection And so much is rooted in like what you put out is what you get back. And if your gas tank is empty, you may be putting out in resentment, you know, you may be putting out stuff that, and then you're like, I just, why am I not as, as productive or powerful as I want to be? And I love what you said, because it's like, I honestly don't think people, and maybe if you're listening to this, you know, that you're even aware that that's what's happening because you're even afraid to acknowledge it, right? Because if you acknowledge it, what if you stop? Because people are counting on you, right? Like there are, you said, lives to save, mouths to feed, like people are counting on you. And so they're, I, I don't even think they feel like, sometimes I feel like people don't even want to recognize that there's something deeper going on, right? Because if you recognize it, then you have to you know, deal with it. You know, Mm -hmm. and then, and also I want to say one thing, and then I have to ask you another question that I wanted to ask you first and I forgot. So I'm not perfect. I am awesome, but I'm not perfect. (laughs) Is that (laughs) Like what I see in fundraising, and I would love to hear your thoughts about this, but what I see in fundraising is like, there's not a lot of like seasons or cycles to it where, okay, we're in this high season and then we're going to power down and we're going to, you know, take an inhale and reset ourselves. And then we're going to power up where it's just like, go 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 go. All right, annual P is over. Now it's holidays. Now it's gala season. You know, and where and that's not sustainable. Hustle is not sustainable. Ease and flow is sustainable. And I think again, we're afraid to power down. Like, what if we miss something? What if we can't power back up? You know. But just acknowledging there's a cycle to things, and I think the organizations that allow for that. And maybe that's what part of what you help people do that allow for that, that, you know what I mean? The inhale and the exhale, the, you know, the power up, power down can be so much more productive because they can take the time to fill themselves up, you know, to, and then come at it again from a fresh perspective. Yeah, totally. That is part of the
0: process. And you touched on a lot of good points. So it is taking that step back. And I think I want to say first, we feel like we have to take care of the needs of other people that we sometimes fail to recognize our own needs and what we need in a certain situation. And it's also really hard to ask for help. I think a lot of people have that fear of if they ask for help, it means they're weak. But I like to say it's the most courageous thing that you could do is to ask for help and voice your needs. So what we do is we take a step back in this EMC process. We go through this, it's called raw spots and emotions. And we understand, let's say for instance one of my clients had a heated board meeting so with each of the pe- executive committee i did this thing where we stepped back and we understood what ch- came up for them in that instance what triggered them why they responded the way they did what they're feeling what their raw spots are what their emo- their soft emotions are their primary emotions which could be shame sadness fear and then moving on to how does that make your body feel what's your fear about the relationship of others so Are you feared that, you know, there's not going to be a relationship or what's your fear about them and yourself? And also then we move to what do you actually need to feel good in this instance? What do you need to voice? So sometimes we'll do it individually. We can also do it with teams, but I think, you know, when we are in those instances, your emotions take over, your amygdala takes over your prefrontal cortex. And like you said, you cannot think logically, you cannot communicate you cannot be productive, you cannot be engaged because your amygdala is literally running your like logic center. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand what your emotions are to be able to start to communicate and be able to voice your needs and communicate with each other and be able to move forward more collaboratively. And so I found, you know, like you said, in fundraising, it's it's a societal thing that we are conditioned to feel like we always have to achieve more. And I just had this conversation with my life coach because I'm in a season where, yes, I run my own business, but I also take care of two kids. And I think if if you're a parent on here, you know, taking care of two kids, it's really hard to achieve a lot. Like my achievement level right now is folding laundry and putting it away in the same day. So (laughs) I feel like, but I have this mindset where I always have to be moving forward. So it's really been hard for me because my season is a little bit slower right now. And so I think it's, reconditioning our brains that it's actually more productive to take rest than to keep going on. And within that building systems that allow you to do that. I think a lot of nonprofits are reactive. So they're, you know, moving forward, they're continuing, and then they realize, well, we're losing our staff or we're not making the impact that we want or raising the dollars. And so we have to build it in those systems and that structure, to set people up for success and be more proactive about our approaches so that let's say if we did leave, the next person that comes on is set up for success because Mm -hmm. we're not going to be here forever. But our ultimate goal is success of the mission and the people in the community. So we need to, and if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of our mission and we can't take care of the people who will come in after us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to just pause for a second because i got so excited. Thank you to talk to you. I forgot my standard first question. So I want to go back. so because I think I'm feeling my way into your answer right now. What is something that you're proud of that you don't get to brag about very often?
0: What is something I I like that question. That's a good question. Thank you. I think, well, I, I don't I don't brag about it because, but I know we connect on this going through the foster to adopt system. A lot of, I like to brag that, you know, I have a two year old, two and a half year old that I was able to adopt and he brings light and joy to my life. And so I, that's what makes me the most proud is, you know, he, we adopted him on my birthday, which my husband also proposed to me on my birthday, but I always say that's the best I do saying yes in front of a judge to my son. So I'm most proud of being able to bring him into our family.
1: Oh. Yes, I I have three kids adopted out of foster care. I'm not. Yeah, and um, those are really good days. Adoption day is a really good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And if you can navigate the foster care system, you can navigate any system. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yes, I'm saying? Yes, that yes. taught me so much patience. I had a story that I told about myself that I wasn't patient, and I had to reframe. Like you adopted three kids out of foster care. That is the most patient you have to be. Okay, so. Let's. I want to jump back in. So I think what I see is there is a real resistance to doing exactly what you described, like understanding the emotions in the room and helping people process the emotions. And that, and sometimes, and I just want to ask to see if you see this too. People want to use tools or strategies, like if we had a plan, then we would all feel better, and we, we like. like our board doesn't trust each other we need a plan yeah eventually yes and first let's understand what happened right and then establish the trust and then create a plan from that space so my point is to have these external things come and make the quote unquote drama or the emotions go away so we don't have to to deal with the what other people i think not me not you would consider like the messy stuff that it's not messy yes. this is just the part of doing the work right and all change all growth there's emotion involved and for some reason at some point we decided that emotions weren't important or or there's no place for them right and so we either push them aside but but when people tell me you know people say well they keep asking me about this and i well they're going to keep asking you until you and until they feel seen and heard Right. And and so your job is because when people feel seen and heard, they relax. And when they relax, they come out of that instinct, amygdala, and they go back in prefrontal cortex. And that's when you can have the productive conversation, but not until then. And so so many of these situations become reactive because people just don't understand what's happening. And especially even don't understand what's happening in their bodies. Right. They cause their fight or flight takes over and they either want to fight or run out of the room. Mm-hmm. And then they call their friend or their partner and say everything they wanted to say in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I have been there. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, how do you, do you work with organizations? Like how do you work with them? What does your business model look like? So it's actually funny.
0: I'm working with a client on this. The board saw that I was a CFRE. Like I said, most people approach me because of that. And when I did like, and because their board was not engaged, they have good board members and potential, but they've been running forward and not really being strategic, and they wanted to raise more revenue. However, when I did a little bit more interviewing, I understood that there's a lot more under the surface than just fundraising. And so we're actually going through this process. So like I said, I met with individually with each of the executive committee, and this was also after a board meeting where things got heated. Obviously, I won't share too much because of confidentiality, but I it was really like understanding how they work together and how they navigate each other to better understand their engagement level and their emotional connection. And, And I will say emotional connection is the bond that holds us all together. And like you said, every single person that's their most basic need is to feel valued and feel heard and feel listened to and feel loved and cared for and important and that they matter. So This process, you know, we take a step back and really understand, okay, why aren't your board members engaged? Why aren't they fundraising? And so we go through this EMC process where, like I said, it's the raw spots and emotions. I've also done this with the director of development who would just go fast and just continue to speak to me. And I was like, okay, let's slow things down because I know you're overwhelmed and there's a lot of expectations. And like many of us, we are thrown into this field and raised up in it. So you know, there's those feelings of inadequacy, and we need to know that we matter. So it's taking a step back and doing that. So actually, next week I'm doing a whole training with this board because originally they were like, "Well, just do your fundraising training," and I was like, mm, "We gotta, we gotta take a step back before we do the fundraising because we have to understand what an emotionally engaged board looks like, how to build self-aware leaders along across the board." and how to engage people from day one. So that means you're onboarding. If you have a meeting with someone, making sure you say hi to them, even if it's virtually like acknowledging everyone in the room. I always know when I host webinars or have done that, like I literally say hi to people um, with a smile because Mm -hmm. you know, that first instinct and a smile makes people feel good. Mm -hmm. It's like, even on the side of the street, right? You can smile at someone and you never know what their day is going like, but that could change their day. So just Mm -hmm. acknowledging people and then moving more towards like the structure piece, but um, that's a whole nother conversation on how to build committee structures and fundraising structures. But it really starts with that self-aware piece and emotional connection piece and taking that step back to kind of see under the hood where the disconnect happened and move more towards that positive connection.
1: Right, because what I know for sure is the presenting problem is hardly ever the actual problem. Right? Yeah. So there's a problem I know and I'm willing to admit to and there's a problem I know and I'm not willing to admit to and that's usually where the juice is. So when they say, "Hey, we'll just do your fundraising thing." You're like, "Yes, of course, and let's start here." Right? Because we're going to get to there but in order to get to there, we have to start here. And I just love what you said like a self-aware leader and I'm going like I just feel like in our society we are not taught how to really listen to people and to be empathetic. And, you know, because, and this is what I really work on in my course with people, because if you look at television and movies, people do not, their sympathy, right? Like if, if you would say, you would say like, oh, Haley, I'm so sad. And you would say, oh, well, what do you have to be sad about? Or, you know, when I'm sad, I go for a run or oh, do don't, don't be sad. Everything's okay. We want to minimize that. Because it's Mm -hmm. it's triggering us, like I don't like. What am I going to do with this? Or I don't want to admit my own sadness, or whatever that thing comes up for you. So we kind of play it down, and or we want to deflect it. And instead of saying, "Oh my goodness, tell me why you're sad. What's going on?" And just that simple thing of centering that person. And when I coach people on this, I say when you when they feel seen and heard, you will know because their body will shift. Right, their Mm -hmm. body will. You will physically see them relax. And once you're there, that's when, you know, what I mean, that's when they be open to what you have to say. And that's why teach, we don't convince, we don't pitch, we don't push, because it puts people right back there into the amygdala, because now they're on the defensive and now they're poking holes or they're looking there, they feel like they need to defend themselves somehow by either minimizing or picking apart what you have to say instead of being open to the dialogue. But there's really not a lot of models for that. Like, like in our, like, cause I love TV, like TV and movies, like, and because it doesn't make for really good drama <laughs> yeah. when people feel really seen and understood and you move productively forward, that doesn't make a really good lifetime movie. <laughs> you know, there's, there's yeah. no drama. So, you know, and, and so we just don't know, we we're never taught. I don't feel like, I don't want to say never. I don't want to say never like that taught, like how to understand and process emotions and ourselves and other people. And that's what I see as, you know, like the reason I do this work is because what I realized is that people weren't communicating effectively externally, not because they didn't have the good brand or the tools or messaging, it's because they weren't communicating effectively internally. And the reason that they weren't communicating effectively internally is to use your language. They were not self-aware leaders, right? And so that would be the first step. Then we'll get to the messaging from that place of empowerment, embodiment, you know, connection, emotional connection. Imagine the brand you'd create from that. And that put us in, you know what I mean? The whole, like up leveling the whole thing to a whole different level. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's so important because I've, yeah, I I talked to someone and he was like, oh, I have to be self-aware and like, didn't really understand that and almost took it negatively. And I was like, I didn't mean that as a negative thing, but like, we all should be self-aware and understand our own emotions so that we can understand to be, like you said, be empathetic towards others. I also think a lot of times like organizations, like do things externally. So you're teaching your clients how to take care of themselves, how to budget, how to eat healthy, how to be healthy, but you don't take that same time to invest in your staff who are a part of the community. And sometimes, a part of your program because mm-hmm. of, you know pay equity is a whole other thing. But I think we need to teach our staff how to take care of themselves and do what we preach externally, internally as well. Because like you said, if our internal systems aren't healthy, then our external systems and our mission fail because right. our people aren't showing up for it. So we need to apply the same strategies or core values that are external to apply to our staff and invest in them as well
1: because somewhere along the way we were taught that we have to sacrifice ourselves to help others. Like we were taught that. I don't know where that cuz I believed that, you believed that. And so in if in and, and because there's only so much, you know, energy or love or support or money, so I have to give you mine in order for you to have it when actually the opposite is true. Like when I embody the change I seek, right? I'm very very committed to this as a leader, I'm in alignment, which means I eat my own cooking, which means I I wouldn't ask you to do anything I don't do myself. All the techniques and things that I practice and I tell my listeners over and over again, I I do these things myself. And like if I want to see it in others, I have to see it in me first, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I do feel like there's nonprofits who are what I would call out of alignment. So like, okay, we care about, you know, supporting families. And we work our staff so hard that they can't even be with their family. No, we support all families. Yeah. Right. Not just these, families, like all families. And that's, I feel like what makes people a little bit resentful because they see, like, well, it's okay for them, but not okay for me. No, it's all right, like you said, like internal x ex- all across. And when we're rooted in that, that that creates a whole different culture, you know, that we operate in. But I do feel like at some point we were taught. You know we have to sacrifice ourselves in order to help others. And when I see organizations that really care for their people, their their people are empowered to make decisions. they they work, you know, regular hours. You know what I'm saying? And they take care of themselves first. So you can be present for others. You know, and you can model what you want to see. So it's like, oh no, 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 you it's for you, not me. No, it's it's for all of us. And so we're creating models around us. And I but I do feel, though, it's shifting. I feel like the culture is shifting. I mean, it takes a lot to turn you out around, but I feel like the culture is shifting. I don't know. What do you see? Like, do you, Is that what you see as well?
0: Yes, I do. And I actually, it was such a game changer for me. And honestly, why I didn't want to leave my last position because of the new CEO, he did provide that. So I was, when he came on, I think I was like seven months pregnant and he allowed me to take, I was salaried. So he allowed me to take, the multiple doctor's appointments you have to have when you're pregnant, not on sick time, because you knew that I would make it up, but not in the expectation that, you know, I had to overwork. Like I also had boundaries of, you know, five to seven, when my oldest goes to bed, like, don't talk to me. Like that's my time with him because I'm working during the day, you know? So like him valuing me and having that trust-based relationship would like made me feel good. It was like there's something inside of me where I'm like, this is unfamiliar. Like, I'm not expected to just work the grind and like burn myself out, but like I can actually take time for me and prioritize myself so that, and I wanted to show up even more, right? I was like more excited and more re-energized when I had that time. So I do think that the culture is shifting and I actually just saw a local nonprofit leader post a LinkedIn post about, you know, what she did with her staff about the recent shootings. And I think that was so important because she was like, if you need help, like if you need that space with your family, take that time for yourself. And I think that's so important with all the things that are going on. And especially the last two years, like we need to provide that space for our staff to grieve, to, you know, handle their stuff that they have at home because that will make them feel good and want to show up even more for their mission.
1: Yeah yeah i love it and you know and and you know it's all about filling that cup i quoted all the time the Ruby quote you give from the overflow not the depths of the well and when you're giving from that overflow that energy rich place like you know that's where the productivity really increases that you know that can because the connections in your people are burned out guilt and resentment kind of like rule the show you either feel guilty that you're not doing enough that's what guilt comes from resentment comes from do think you're giving too much and not getting enough back and One of my coaches dr aaron wilkerson he calls it the divine balance right there's a divine balance there but if we feel like we are giving too much the resentment and then also but like oh is it okay for me to take the time oh now i feel guilty you know so we can swing back and forth and so as you were speaking i was thinking like when you were talking about work in this example of working with this board and really helping them create an emotional connection becoming more self-aware I know there are so many people listening right now who are like, I would love to have a board that's maybe a little more self-aware. Is there something that you could tell them that they could implement? Like what is one little, is there anything you could say? Here's one thing you could do to maybe get them on the path to that. Sure. And I just, yeah, like you mentioned, you are not
0: alone. There's (laughs) Everyone (laughs) deals with this problem. So I just want you to know that you are not alone and we hold space for you because I know that it is frustrating. The number one tip I can give is like I said before, make sure everyone feels welcomed at the meeting and give and how you set up the committee agenda, make sure that everyone has a voice and an opportunity to speak up. So like I said, like smile, make it a warm a warm embrace when people come, even if it's like I said, virtual. You can still say hi to people in the chat box, or you can, you know, verbally say hi to people as they're logging on. And then make sure the committee agenda. I know there's the Robert Rules and whatever, but make sure that everyone has a voice um, so that they feel included and like they're part of the mission. Because I think sometimes as a board member, you're removed because you're doing all the high level stuff. So make sure that they have influence and are a part of you know, the actual part of the mission.
1: Yeah. I was on a board once and I was like, it was the Foster Adoptive Care Coalition. And now they're in St. Louis, of course, that's where I am. And I mean, we've been everything to each other. They were my client. I was their client that I was on the board. And when I cut on the board, I I was thinking, what am I doing here? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't read these financial statements. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I'm not an investment banker or whatever. All these guys were. And I got really intimidated and I shut up. And it takes a lot for me to go silent, you know? And I was just like overwhelmed and I didn't, and 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 everything, the atmosphere was great, everything, you know, I just felt like, what is my role here? And mm-hmm. what they do that I love that I would suggest other people take the time to do this is every summer we would meet one-on-one with the ED and the development director. Now if I could do that myself I'd bring the board president in but maybe they do that sometimes but that wasn't the with me. And they would say how can we serve you better as a board member. And I'm like and these, so these are people I'm pretty close to okay cuz they got me through some stuff I you know I got them through some stuff. I did their branding, you know one of my favorite taglines ever that I developed they 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 use and and I said well I said I don't know what I'm doing here and they said well, what do you want to do here I said well, I want to teach you how to tell your story better, and they're like, "Okay, let's do that." I'm like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So, I got to, I did this training at a couple of board meetings, and I taught the board members like how to tell the tell the organization story through their own lens, like how to create this organization story and your story, and like you know what I and, and so that you're telling this authentic story to people, and they loved it, and it was, and I remember the development person setting me aside and saying, "Marianne, like." you have to do this more because they're loving this. And, and after that, it just sort of like, I realized that it was me holding myself back. I just felt so connected to these mostly men, you know, in this room that I'd, and we created this whole new level of connection, but it was because they're like, yeah, you, I felt valued. And, And you know what I mean? And also I had the opportunity to share my expertise and then stepped into, this was like a few years ago. I, I've grown a lot, but but I mean, when I step into my value
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then it was awesome after that. But I mean, smart people, I am a smart, capable person and I got intimidated, right? Like I am a total type A, I got you and I got overwhelmed. So let's just assume that when, from the beginning, there's going to be some overwhelm. And a lot of times what I hear is people say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to like give them too much at first. I want to like no, no, no. The, the people are people are never more engaged is when they first show up, right? Yeah, grabbing them then, and so like I just want to get them acclimated. No, because you're getting them acclimated into inactivity, <laughs> right? Like they're acclimating to what you don't want. Acclimate them to what you do want, but dive in there. But I really liked these one on one that we every year we did. It's time for board one on ones. Like okay that was part of your commitment to board service was come do this one on one every year. There's like 25 of us on the board but you know, and I just, I, for me, that was a really great strategy, you know?
0: Yeah. I love that idea. So yeah, I've had some recent board members on one of the boards I sit on, like call me and be like, and I've been on this board for about five years and they're like, why am I here? Like, I don't feel valued or like I belong in the room and This other board that I sit on has done a really good job about that. They've created a welcome folder and a mentorship program. So, and that's kind of the model that I'm using now is, you know, when that onboarding process, like you said, you know, making sure people understand why they're there, what the mission is, how they can contribute and use their skills because everyone wants, everyone doesn't have time, but... (laughs) They want their time to be valued, Mm -hmm. and then also creating that mentorship program for people to check in and just say, "Hey, how's it going? Like, what can we do better? How can you do better?" And just making those—it's almost like donor touch points, right? Like Mm -hmm. making them know that they're making an impact. How you can do better or communicate better—it's taking them along that journey and making them feel a part of the mission all along. So I love that your board did that and you know really utilized your expertise because that's
1: what people. That's why people are there. <laughs> yeah. We also did this thing and it may have been my idea and if probably, cause this is totally me, but they, at the time, there was a, like a restaurant bar down on the first floor. So we would go down after board meetings, just like have a cocktail and hang out. And once a year, the junior board would come as well. So we would all just like hang out because you don't know these people. You don't, you don't know how they make decisions. You don't know, I don't really know anything about them. And we're, and we are together at four times a year. And I'm supposed to make decisions with them, so it was really great just to have opportunities to get to know people. You know what I mean? Like on a, because some of the people in the room, I they were kind of big shots, or you know what I mean. And like and just have that easy time because so much of board meetings is like focus, focus, focus. We got to get through this agenda. We, you know, we have an hour, everybody. But just to kind of have that casual time, I think to just sit with people's humanity. You know, talk about our kids or whatever I, I thought was really helpful and 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 i think went a long way as far as creating emotional connections it's being a board member i think we forget it's not an easy thing mm-hmm. and it can it can it can be sometimes feel intimidating to people who are on it yeah
0: definitely and i love that that you you know connected on a personal level because i think that's so important to build that trust to then yeah. be able to make decisions together
1: yeah so i want to bring it back to the person a little bit because now i what do you think i could do or anyone listening to do to increase and i love your term self-aware leader to increase their self-awareness as a leader how could they do that what would be one step towards them being a little more self-aware So I know that there's a book
0: about becoming, there's four components of becoming more emotionally intelligent. I don't remember what the book is, but really practicing, like understanding your own emotional experiences and, you know, what triggers you. So yeah, it's just really understanding your emotional experiences and kind of diving in and labeling what your emotions are. I'm not a psychologist, but I know that that's important to, you know, start that process to become more self-aware. So that looks like understanding the emotional in yourself, understanding your triggers and automatic responses. So like I had a boss who was not responding to my emails. So I'm a pursuer. So I kept sending emails and I had to go through this process to really understand what that trigger was for me and what I really needed. And then, you know, and then how they affect others. So how Mm -hmm. your emotions affect others as well, because they don't just affect you. They also affect
1: the world around you. And don't you feel like just being a more self-aware leader, like I'm a more self-aware leader everywhere I go, not just at work, like in my home, like in my life. You know what I'm saying? I I feel like I'm a better friend. I'm a better partner to my husband. I'm a better parent to my kids because of my self-awareness. Yeah, I mean, I've done this process with my husband as well. We had like a
0: disconnection and over like a conversation. So I totally sat down. And went through this process with him and then we were able to understand each other's emotions and like what came up for us. So I think it does influence like how you approach your relationships as a whole.
1: Yes. And so I want to tell you this. though. So my husband was like, he's a very pragmatic scientist. So he <laughs> tends to like not want to dive into the feelings. And that's, and one of the things I learned is that's totally fine. He is who he is. But other thing I learned is when I raise my vibe, when I raise my energy, I just kind of bring him with me. You know what I mean? Like, I was worried like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff. And like, what if we grow apart? Cause I'm doing, you know, like a lot of this, what he would consider, you know, like wooey stuff. And I said, what if we grow apart? I, no, like he, he, they just kind of come with me. You know what I mean? Like, you just, and that's what I tell the people I coach and train. Like when you up level, people just rise to meet you they don't, you don't have to announce like, Hey, I'm more self-aware now this, you know, they just respond to you differently. And you will, you will see like when you raise your standards for what you will and will not accept in your life. And all you have to do is decide to do that. And people will respond differently. And it's not like I have to announce like I'm more self-aware now. And you know what I'm saying? Just, you just, they just come with you. And what I feel like is what the thing that you're working on so much, which, which in fundraising, which I think is the most emotionally charged thing we do. I mean, it's asking for help. It's about the trigger of money and the vulnerability, you know, and the possibility of rejection. I call that the trifecta. And you have to really be self-aware to be able to do that, which is, I feel like why a lot of people don't want to do it and get intimidated by it because it's too many triggers, like too much at once. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think, you know, when we become more self-aware, when
0: we communicate like what our fears and needs are, it gives space for other people to feel emotionally safe to do so. And while I'm saying we need to dive deeper into ourselves to understand our emotions, I actually just posted this on LinkedIn yesterday that when it comes to fundraising, we need to take ourselves out of it. Because when we make it too much about us and like what our agenda is, that's when we get scared or that's when we get triggered. But our missions aren't about us and our agenda. It's about the people that we're serving and our community as a whole. So when we take ourselves out of it, it becomes a lot easier because we're not asking for ourselves. We're asking for the families and kids that we're serving Mm. that actually need the help. We're asking for, you know, the, the puppies and the cats that need saving or, you know, the environment so that we can all live a better life. So I think when we take ourselves out of it and focus on that, it's so much easier to ask because it's not about us at all. And the legacy that we actually want to leave will live longer than we would if we put ourselves into it and make it too much about us.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it feels like it could be about us, but I love that reframe. That is perfect. It's really not about you. It's about being in service, right? There's a phrase somebody taught me you you can't be nervous when you're in service and mm-hmm. like right before i go on stage i remind myself like i am here to serve like you know and I, I probably won't be perfect you know and i'm here to serve i'm here to help and and like okay let's it's not about me and did did i hit the right note did i stand the right way did i talk too fast or too slow how was my register and tempo no it was about being in service and then oh, okay then you can kind of let all that go so i i I didn't realize it till you just said that, but I use that same technique as well. So yay! All mm-hmm. right, okay. So we're we're gonna wrap up here, and I am now. This is my last question that I ask. So, I love karaoke; it's my favorite thing. So, if we were ever at karaoke together. What would be your go-to karaoke song?
0: I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. What? <laughs> That's my hype song and the song that I will. I. <sighs> Put on like almost every day when I have dance parties with my uh, kids. So that is my uh, song. <laughs> that's your
1: song that's what we're gonna sing at karaoke. you're gonna belt that. I can't hear I can't wait to hear you belt that one out. That's a great song that is like that is I have very specific memories of that song and i I was in college, so I like I'm gonna date myself, but that's a great song. Awesome. thank you so much. okay. if people want to get in touch with you, how could they do that? I am very active on LinkedIn.
0: So you can reach out to me LinkedIn. It's Haley Cooper, CFRE. That's where I hang out. So I hope to connect there.
1: Yeah. And that link, we'll put the link in the show notes. And so if you want to connect with Haley on LinkedIn, please do. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I'm so glad to know you. I feel like we're kindred spirits. And I'm so glad that we're, we, we do the same thing and it's such different ways. And I just, And like I said, there's no shortage of like, you know, burnt out ED CEOs and disengaged boards to serve so we can always come together to do that. But I love hearing your perspective because it's so validating. And and I'm so glad you're out there really helping people in a way that is what I feel like is really sustainable, you know, like because what you're teaching people will last for a long time, right? It's going to fundamentally shift how they approach their work. And so that is it for me for this episode of the Influential Nonprofit. If you want to download my Uplevel Your Influence Starter Kit, you can just go to theinfluentialnonprofit.com and I have all kinds of goodies in this package for you. An ebook called Stop Sitting Back and Start Making Change and a guide to how how to have difficult or what I call courageous conversations, a template, all kinds of good stuff. So make sure you download that. And Haley, thanks again for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to get to speak to you and talk about this. All right. So and we'll see you next time on The Influential Nonprofit.
0: Thanks for listening to The Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dirsch. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out the theinfluentialnonprofit.com for more resources on
1: growing your influence so you can raise more. And do more.